I have newbie investors call me weekly and, and even send me emails, cold emails as well. But the ones that you know are set apart are the ones that are prepared, and they usually have some sort of business plan or a business plan presentation um, that's broken down, and it really highlights what they're looking to acquire, uh, what their team looks like, including uh, their equity partners. So um, I think that's a very important piece as well. If, if you're a newbie investor and you have three really strong equity partners um, that are already lined up, and, and they say, you know, I have this amount of equity that I'm looking to place, I think that that really sets you beyond some of the other investors who just call or, or maybe you meet them at a networking event and they say, Hey, I'm looking for B and C class multifamily value add. Here's my card. Welcome to investing in the U S an Aussie's guide to U S real estate a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US, an Aussie's guide to US real estate, the number one podcast geared towards helping investors and entrepreneurs break into the US market. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it is my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing here in the United States, so you can all make the right investing decisions to create massive amounts of cash flow that will lead to long-term wealth and financial freedom. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Reed Goosens. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mark Allen. Mark is a Dallas-based based multifamily and single-family rental portfolio broker with SVN who fell in love with real estate investing in 2009. Mark attended West Point, the US Military Academy, and served in the US Army as a field artillery officer deployed to Eastern Afghanistan. Mark has since left the army and has been investing in real estate ever since. Recently, he quit his corporate job to focus on real estate investing full-time and on the brokerage side. So without further ado, let's get him out here. G'day, Mark. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Really doing well. Thanks for having me. Mate, my pleasure. It's great for you to be on the show. I know we met up a few weeks ago at the IMN conference. Pretty excited to finally put a face to a name or a voice because I know you and I have been talking for some quite some time now over the phone. So really excited to get you on the show today. Um, but before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you elaborate a little bit more on your background and what was the mindset shift in, in your life that you wanted, you wanted to pursue real estate investing full time? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, so my family was in real estate. So I have a real estate background. My dad was a, a single family developer. He did everything from track homes to uh, multi-million dollar homes. So uh, primarily custom homes. But uh, when, when the, the market was cruising like it is now, uh, he, was, he was developing. And um, one of the, you know, kind of a, a big lesson learned from that is he put all his eggs back into one basket. Um, and, and this can be this can, this can go in a, a couple of different ways, but um, I, I think a key is to, and, and something I learned from him is to diversify and maybe just not in real estate, but within real estate as well. Um, you know, maybe not all in the same asset class and definitely not all in the same market. I think it's good uh, to be diversified over several markets. Um, so anyways, my, my dad was a developer. His parents were uh, real estate brokers. Um, both uh, commercial and residential throughout my small town, just south of Orlando, Florida, where I grew up. 
and uh, went into West Point. And uh, my junior year, we got a career starter loan at half a percent interest. It was $35,000 at half a percent wow. interest. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a, a lot of my classmates were out buying new Corvettes and uh, maybe throwing maybe throwing a good chunk of it on black in Vegas. Uh, whereas my dad said, hey, you're going to buy real estate. Um, so, you know, being in 2009, the market, it just fell off. It, it had been hit pretty hard. Um, so he helped me to go out and find a foreclosed condo in Melbourne, Florida, which is on the, the east coast of Florida. Um, and that started my real estate uh, venture there in college. And I was able to uh, cash flow quite nicely. Um, and I still own the, that asset today. So uh, that's what got me going. And then um, I, I got into the army and was like, man, you know, I have some free time. Um, I, I, you know, I want to put the best use to my free time. So I started acquiring properties uh, with like little to no money strategies, mostly single family homes uh, throughout the Austin, uh, Colleen, Fort Hood area. Uh, built up a small portfolio and then uh, started selling those off in, in uh, 2014, 2015 because um, I was able to capture some equity as, as I came into those. And uh, yeah, and took that equity and started flipping homes here in Dallas once I moved here two and a half years ago. And uh, I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm selling software and uh, I'm flipping real estate and I really just had no, no life. Um, so I'm like, I, I need to become a little more passive. So uh, just over two years ago, I started connecting with some local private uh, apartment investors, multifamily investors. And uh, from there, really uh, started to understand the benefits uh, of, you know, primarily the economies of scale and, and kind of scaling uh, from a passive perspective. Um, and, and, you know, that got me, that caught fire there on multifamily. So here I am today, uh, two years later, I decided to quit my corporate job and go full-time into real estate. And uh, today my primary focus is on uh, the real estate brokerage side as I, as I get this business up and going as of about um, just January of this year, end of January this year. So well, not, mate, that's an incredible story. Um, and, and something that you've sound like you've done it all, right? You've, you've invested in condos in Florida to investing in Dallas to investing in Austin, Texas, uh, selling some of your portfolio, being involved on the passive side in real estate. It sounds like a real estate syndication. So it sounds like you've, you've had your hands in, in, as you're saying, quite a diversified portfolio, which is what your dad was sort of, uh, you know, bestowed upon you as a young kid. Um, so well done. I want to just clarify one thing. You said Melbourne, Florida, right? That's M Melbourne, like Melbourne, Australia. Is that the same one? Yeah, that's, <laughs> same. Yeah, same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. It's uh, is it is it a hustling metropolitan area like uh, Melbourne, Australia? It is a secondary market in Florida, but um, the whole they call it the Space Coast area of Florida, mm -hmm. and it's it's uh, growing quite rapidly. Uh, there's a there's a lot of new development and a lot of growth in that area. And, so, and I take um, space coast meaning uh, to do with NASA down there. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So they nice call stuff. that area space coast due to NASA. Awesome stuff. Well, well, mate, I've got you on the show today because. I like talking to brokers a lot. I like getting, you know, the pocket listings. I like getting relationships. I like building all that stuff. But the thing is, with there's so many listeners out there that, that want to get involved in multifamily or even in single family. And where we are in today's market is that it's really, really hot. 2017, it's a hot market, you know, regardless of what type of investing you're in, people are looking for yield. So how do newbie investors build that credibility with investors, uh, sorry, with, with brokers 
straight off the bat if they don't have any credibility? And, and what sort of advice can you give to those people out there listening today? Yeah. So I, I think there's three things I want to hit on here. Perfect. It's going to be relationships. It's going to be preparation, you know, showing that you're prepared um, and potentially a JV partner. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's the theme of, of uh, real estate as a whole. It's, it's all about relationships. And that's whether uh, you're an investor in single family or an investor in, in retail, uh, no matter what. You need to have broker relationships. You need to have, uh, you know, build a team, have attorneys on your team. You need to have uh, lenders on your team, so on and so forth. Um, so it's all about establishing relationships and building a good team. Right. Okay. Um, so, so on this, let's, let's, let's d- drill down into your first point there on relationships. I think that's a, it's a very good key to, to, and we can segue into the other two in a little bit. How do, how does someone get a relationship with a broker? Do they just start cold calling? Do they start attending networking events? How do you get approached by newbie investors in your you know, work day to day? Yeah, primarily, I mean, <clears throat> so it's a mix and everyone has their own style, but I tend to meet the most new investors uh, here locally in Dallas-Fort Worth at uh, local meetups, uh, also local networking events. There's a group called uh, Old Capital, um, and, and they host a pretty uh, widely known real estate meetup type networking event. Uh, and they also have a podcast of, of their own. But um, so, yeah, I, I would say it's a mix of both calls. I, I do get cold calls from investors uh, as well as kind of hitting the pavement and being out uh, meeting different folks. Nice, nice. And I think that's really important. I actually have had Michael Becker on the show talking about multifamily uh, financing, which was you know, a really cracking episode back, I think, in the mid-60s range, episode 61 or 62. If you are listening, mm-hmm. go back and listen to that show. But I do like what you said about getting out there, getting involved and sort of rubbing shoulders, right, with, with, with guys like yourself who, who have access to those great deals. So new investors can hopefully one day get access to those great deals, right? Yeah, it's very important. I mean, it, it's it's going to be a world of, world of difference if you can uh, hit the pavement, get out there and get face to face rather than uh, just a phone call. And uh, I mean, in your local market, uh, I mean, in, in primary cities, uh, major metros, you know, brokers are out um, hitting the ground and they're going to be out at different networking events and, and meetups. So um, I'm sure there's one in your market. Nice. How do you, what advice would you have to people investing out of state? Say they live here in Los Angeles or live in New York, but they like multifamily investing in, um, in Texas. How would they go about trying to really create a connection with, with someone like yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's like anything. So keying on the relationship, it's, uh, maybe giving a call if you're going to be in the area and you're really interested in the market. Uh, give uh, kind of do some research, find out uh, who the top brokers are in every market. I think every market is different here in Dallas, Fort Worth. It's, it's a major, um, I, I think as far as number of units, it's uh, one of the top in the country and it's a very hot market with a lot of investors chasing yield uh, right now throughout Texas. Um, so D- DFW is different than many markets. Whereas we have, let's say, I'm going to say 10 to 12 really good brokers. So if you go to Houston, for example, there's probably three brokers that hold about, you know, 90% of the deal flow. And right. I think that's, I think that's more evident in, in, uh, in cities like Houston or, or like a Phoenix or something like that. And, so, and, and why um, is that? Why, why would only a handful of investors in those other markets hold the 90% of the deal flow? Oh, why is that? I mean, just, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really maybe the culture in the city, but, um, also there's in a, in a city like Houston, 
let's say, you know, ARA or, or a, a, a Jones Lang LaSalle, um, I think they, they're pretty dominant in that market. But right. the brokers that have been there have been there in that market for 25 plus years. So sure. over time, again, it, it all leads back to relationships. Those, that's a, that's those right. brokers have, have established, uh, you know, relationships and have, have built um, a business based on relationships over time. No, that's, that's, inc- that's good. That's very good stuff. And, and I could imagine part and parcel of why 90% of, you know, three, three brokers have 90% of the deal flows, probably because we are in such a hot market that sellers are going directly to the, to the, to the guys that get deals done. Right. And if you have 20 years yeah. or 30 years experience in, in a particular market, it's just natural that the, the word of mouth is going to get out that you need to go to ARA or Marcus and Miller Chapel, one of the big, the big brokerage firms. Um, I want to segue on yeah. to your second point, which was preparation. Uh, I, have, and, I have one other point. Yeah, go ahead. One other, I don't mean to cut you off. One other point there. So um, a market like DFW, it may be easier to gain access to deal flow because there are so many brokers that are putting out deals. Whereas if you come across a market where, where two or three of the brokers hold the majority of the deal flow, um, it's going to be even. Uh, it's going to be more tough to break into that market because, um, you know, most likely they've been in the market for a very long time and they have long-standing relationships. So, just to, I think it's a good point to highlight. No, I think that's that's, that's a very good point to highlight. And one other thing, uh, I would like to give a little tidbit is uh, trying to, uh, uh, you know, aim for someone like yourself, Mark. You know, you're a young guy. You're eager. You want to get deals done. Um, if you're also young, you know, young entrepreneur, real estate entrepreneur looking to break into the multifamily, connecting with sort of like aged people I've found has been really helpful in my business. Um, you know, seeing that I'm in my you know, early 30s, seeing other people in their early 30s, it's sort of just, there's, there's just this natural connection rather than saying trying to, you know, entice a 50-year-old broker who's been in the business who looks at a young buck like us and say, oh, you know, what do you got to offer me sort of thing. So do you have any comment on that? Yeah, no, that's a great point uh, because we have 10 brokers on our team um, and they range. So my managing director, uh, he did almost 20 deals in 2015 and now he's more focused on the business. Right. Uh, but if he has a listing, uh, he has longstanding relationships um, and he's at the point, and I think this is probably evident with some of the brokers that have been ar- uh, around quite a long time um, and, and have done you know, quite a few deals. So if he has someone contact him that's new, what, what he's going to do is pass them on to, uh, you know, a broker like me, uh, one of the younger guys. So I think from the start, it's best to, to um, I mean, if, if you are a younger investor, to, to contact younger brokers, um, because at the end of the day, I mean, they, they're more willing to put deals um, in front of you than maybe someone uh, more experienced or that has been in the industry longer that has stronger relationships and, and maybe even doesn't want to deal with buyers like my managing director. So <laughs> no, all very, very good points. Um, but I want to segue into the second point that you brought up earlier in the piece, which was preparation. Um, I have, I talk a lot about on this show, credibility booklet, you know, trying to establish credibility through some sort of, you know, PDF or, or physical form that you can send brokers to show that, you're more than just a cold caller or an emailer. You're, you have more to give. So talk to me a little bit about what you define preparation and what you like to see from newbie investors uh, when they approach you. Yeah, that's huge. I have newbie investors call me weekly and, and even send me emails, cold emails as well. But the ones that you know are set apart are the ones that are prepared and they usually have some sort of business plan or a business plan presentation um, that's broken down and it really highlights what they're looking to acquire uh, what their team looks like, including uh, their equity partners. So um, I think that's a very important piece as well. If, if you're a newbie investor and you have three really strong equity partners, 
um, that are already lined up and, and they say, you know, I have this amount of equity that I'm looking to place. I think that that really sets you beyond some of the other investors who just call or, or maybe you meet them at a networking event and they say, Hey, I'm looking for B and C class multifamily value add. Here's my card. <laughs> Isn't that what everyone's looking for? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So if, if you can, if you can really hone in and be specific on what you're looking for, um, that definitely sets you apart. Um, and, and I would say I am very much more likely uh, to put deals in front of uh, new investors that, that, even if they're maybe not prepared, if, if you can present that you're prepared uh, with a with a presentation like that, that's definitely going to set you apart. Um, and then I think the other thing, maybe maybe we'll get into an after, but uh, potential JV partners. If you're bringing someone on your team that has um, experience closing, uh, you know, deals 100 plus units in size or more, whatever the case may be. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point and we'll get into that in a little bit, but I just want to uh, hone down a little bit more on that credibility booklet and that presentation. You know, um, what do you, you've said that you like to see, um, you know, maybe the target, the target properties. Do you like to see the sort of target demographics that, that people are looking to rent to if they are looking for large multifamily? Sure. Yeah. The, the more information, the better. Um, and if you can give the, the why behind uh, your strategy, even better. Right. No, I think I completely agree. So for all those listening out there, you know, defining what type of property you're looking for also doesn't just mean that the vintage of the property in, in a class A, class B, class C, or the number of units. It also, you want to define the type of demographic you're looking to rent to and, and your investment criteria and strategy because, you know, some people look for class A and they want to rent to, you know, lawyers and engineers and, um, you know, the, the higher net worth individuals. Uh, but other people like myself, and I'm sure you, Mark, as well, look to a sort of blue collar type of, of workers to rent to affordable housing type of uh, model. And, and that's really, really important to, to get across to a broker if you are trying to present yourself with uh, in a better light, right? Have I hit the nail on the head there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. Because I think it, it shows that uh, not only you're prepared, but um, you, you have uh, market knowledge or you have knowledge on the industry as well. Yep. No, I think that's great. So let's segue into that, that last part, which was, you know, being partnered with the right types of people and, and the equity partners and how that looks in your credibility book or, or, or sort of presentation to, to a broker. What do you, you, you mentioned before, you like to see that there's equity partners lined up. Is it just a, a picture of them? Or is it, you know, do you show a bank account? Like how do you, is there just the story you tell? How to, as a newbie investor, do you say, okay, well, I've not done this before, but X, Y, Z people have done it and, and, uh, and have been successful at it. Yeah. I, I don't even think you need to give names or, or it's not like you need to say, Hey, this is John Doe and this is his email address. This is, <laughs> he's looking to place a million in equity. It's, it's more so a story. It's like, Hey, I have uh, X, Y, Z partner, X partner um, has been successful in uh, maybe it's like land development or, or something outside. Maybe he's made money by selling, uh, building a tech business and selling his business. And mm -hmm. he has, you know, $50 million to play with and he's willing to partner with me and place uh, a million plus or whatever the case may be, depending on how well, you know, um, the quality of the deal. Right. So it's just more of a story when you meet those brokers. It's more of a story. Yeah. You meet those brokers, you're having a, a phone call. Um, but, or maybe you're also inviting those brokers out to lunch to present you that, that pitch deck, right? That, that could be, a, I've known, I've, that's been very helpful in my business is, is, you know, meeting up with brokers after maybe you've met them at a, at a networking event to explain that story a little bit better one-on-one -on -one in a quieter uh, situation over a coffee or even over lunch or over a beer. 
um, I'm sure you get invited out a lot, right? You, you go to a lot of lunches. Yeah, lunches and dinners. Um, <laughs> hey, man, yeah, free so, food. Well, yeah, you, whenever. You, you can't complain about free food, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's, I mean, it's like anything. Even thinking back to myself as an investor in single family, sitting in living rooms um, of, of potential sellers, maybe they might be in their 60s, but I walk into their home and kind of look around the home and, and see, you know, maybe they have a trophy, a bowling trophy or pictures of their kids. And it's just something to kind of key on. So, you, you, I mean, just like building relationships in any sense, uh, you want to find a connection. Uh, you want to understand, you know, what, what they value, what their interests are and try to uh, key on those, but don't be fake about it. Um, right. Obviously. I mean, right. we don't need to get into that, but <laughs> no, I think being, being genuine, but having a few sort of tools in your tool belt, um, you know, building those relationships, preparation and showing that you've got some equity partners, I think is all really, really important um, to building that credibility quickly with a broker. And it's about, you know, like, you know, it's not rocket science, but at the end of the day, it will take time, right? It's not, nothing just happens sure. overnight. So, you know, I can't just call you tomorrow, Mark, and say, hey, Mark, give me a deal. You know, it's not going to happen like you're not going to just send me, you know, random Joe Blow just calls you out of nowhere. and like, I want a class C, you know, multifamily, 150 units. Send me, send me what you got, you know, without having any lick of knowledge of what, who they are, why they're calling you. I think it's really important to, to drive home the fact that it will take some time to build these relationships. Uh, it does. It's not just at a drop of a hat, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think another big separate separating point uh, with the equity partners, as you start to go uh, network and build your business um, and, and kind of add these potential equity partners to your database. Um, it's, it's important to, to, to have a mix of, uh, of different investors. Right. No, I completely agree. So let's walk a bit. Let's talk a little bit about the other side of what you're doing at SVN. You know, we've talked about building credibility with brokers. How are you building your own credibility with getting great leads? Because we're in a very hot market right now. You're based in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and uh, you, I know you work for SVN. So you talked a little bit about, you know, being in someone's living room, um, attracting those right leads. What are you doing right now to find Kraken deals in your, in your chosen markets? Yeah, sure. So it's important just as it's, it's important for investors to build credibility um, and build relationships. It, the same goes for me with investors um, and current owners. So uh, I guess whenever I first started, it was all about building out my database connecting with different folks. Well, now it's more, you know, who do I need to focus on? Who is most likely to sell in the next two years? Um, and what kind of value can I bring to them uh, that, that will help get a meeting and help get me face to face? Um, because it's not easy to, for a busy investor that may own 2000 units, uh, for me to call them up and say, Hey, like, I want to go take you to lunch. It's like, okay, what kind of value? Like, you know, I have people all the time asking to take me to lunch. So <laughs> I have to figure out how I can add value. And maybe that's continually, it may be a series of uh, four or five touches uh, via phone calls where I'm saying, Hey, uh, property close to, to, you know, right next to yours just traded at uh, 45 a door. And this is kind of what's going on. Or, Hey, you know, I just talked to this owner who owns uh, two blocks down and, uh, you know, they're doing X, Y, Z to their property and they're going to push rents to this level. Um, so, you know, little things like that is, is how I continue to try to try to add value. Yeah, I was just going to ask, and how are you finding those, 
those owners? Are you using any software to, to track them down or is it just because you, you have traded stuff in their neighborhood? So you've sort of just said, oh, there's another property down the road that, that would be interested. I know it's not for sale. I might approach them. How, talk me through that process. Sure. Each, each brokerage is going to have their own database, but uh, more importantly, they're going to have software. Uh, you know, the big ones out there, CoStar and uh, Yardy Matrix, which is going to give you a wealth of information, not just about each property in the market, but uh, it's going to give you rent data. It's going to give you occupancy data. Um, and it's also going to give you the owner contact information uh, for, the, for the most part, if it's available, you know, via um, public access. So it's, it's going to give you the person's contact name, their company, um, and their phone number. So that's, that's crucial for uh, brokers. And I know there's um, quite a few investment companies that have access to that same information. Um, they have, you know, after they build up a team, they have acquisition players, like a director of acquisitions or acquisitions team that may do the same and they may call. Um, but at the end of the day, I think owners feel more comfortable uh, working with brokers rather than uh, directly with just, just one potential buyer or investor. No, I think that, that makes sense given where we are in the market right now. Are you seeing a lot of sellers uh, doing some soft, you know, soft shop their deal, which means they're sort of just like put, you know, saying, hey, okay, you've, you've, you've been calling me three or four times, Mark, you know, I'll see what you've got, see what, see what sort of interest you can generate from this property. Yeah. So uh, the key for, for the broker is to determine the level of motivation. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's oftentimes I come across uh, potential sellers uh, they say, hey, I would consider selling, but this is a great asset. Um, and I would also consider refinance and, and I may be leaning more towards a refinance. So in that case, I know the motivation isn't high and many, and many uh, potential sellers or many investors um, may use this tactic to kind of get a baseline to understand what their property might be worth. Um, so, you know, you have that case, uh, which I come across quite often. Um, and then you have the case where it's like, Hey, I'm ready to sell because of a divorce, because of a, right. a death. Um, you know, you've been staying in touch and you, you've talked about bringing offers, uh, for me. So this is my expectations and it's usually their expectation, their pricing expectations, usually based around a net, you know, a, a, an amount that they want to net. And I'm able to say, Hey, I think that's realistic or I think that's unrealistic and here's why. But then, then I'll you know work to I guess with this pocket listing or off market deal, um, shop to a couple of uh, investors who I know who are strong buyers and uh, you know have built a relationship with me, um, and I'll put an offer in front of them. At that point, it's it typically in the case of the off market deal or the pocket listing, if it meets their expectations, hey, I'll move forward. But if not, then I'm going to go full you know fully market this uh, you know with a broker. And at that point, I don't know if you want to talk through kind of what that process looks like, but I yeah, can talk through that. Let's do it. Let's, let's talk through that because I, this is all leading to the right point. And, and that is how do you get to see those, you know, pocket listings, but say you do have a soft, you know, sell uh, pocket listing, you've taken it out to your guys that, you know, are strong buyers or strong, um, you know, investors in your market. And they think they might be interested in, in that particular uh, asset but then they don't, you know, maybe the investor's, sorry, the seller's expectation is too high. And they just say, look, look, the seller's not wanting to take your offer right now. And we're going to have to go to, and do a full market, um, you know, marketing package. Right. So, so talk to me about that process there. Yeah. So it's, it is a bit of trying to reset expectations. Um, but in the same sense, 
you know, they, they still have a, you know, potential that, Hey, if I fully market this deal, it's going to get maximum exposure and I'll get an offer where I want it. But they know at that point, if it's fully marketed, they come to market with the broker comes to market with the deal. It's, it's fully marketed. Then whatever the highest offer is, that's, you know, what they're going to be walking away with. Um, so yeah. So if, if, um, and most feel this way. I mean, most would rather fully market their deal and, and there's brokerages that sell, Hey, you're going to receive 10% higher if you fully market this deal because they'd rather get their name out as brokers as well in the market. So what an owner typically does or an investor typically does is um, ask for, it's called a BOV, a broker's opinion of value. And typically they ask for um, two to three uh, BOVs, uh, which are essentially a listing presentations and the broker uh, we'll prepare, you know, this is what I think your, the value of your, your assets worth or assets. And uh, this is why you should use us to list your property. And, you know, here's a little bit about our team and, and, uh, and our, our background and experience. That's the gist of uh, the listing, I guess, that process to, to list. No, that's, and that's really important, the BOV. And so it essentially is a, I guess it's a, a uh, uh, horse and pony show for the brokerage firm to set to entice the seller to list with them. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Interesting stuff. And so when you do your underwriting to get that BOV, are you potential? Cause I see obviously a lot of marketed packages that may be a little aggressive based on their cap rate. So are you, you cause obviously you're trying, you want to try and sell it, but you also want to attract the buyer to sell with you. So you're going to have to, be a bit aggressive when it comes to cap rates and when it comes to your underwriting uh, assumptions. So talk to me a little bit about that process and how you want to sort of tread that line knowing that you can, you've got sellers, so buyers who want to buy that deal at, at, at a particular price, but not also setting an expectation too high for the seller. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm giving up some <laughs> brokerage tactics here, but yeah, I mean, brokers <laughs> are going to come in and, and they know if, they know typically, unless they have a really strong relationship, um, you know, they've known this, this seller, it's been a client, they put them in multiple deals. Um, they're probably maybe a little more conservative. Uh, but anyways, it, typically if, if I know that there's two or three broke or two or three other brokers competing for the listing, um, I'm, I'm going to be realistic. I need to be realistic because what we don't want to do is push the value too high and then we, we end up winning the listing and we come to market and everything's falling way short or right. falling short for that matter. Um, and then it, it doesn't make us look good as brokers. Um, we want to hit, we want to hit or exceed um, what our opinion of value was. Um, but primarily we want to hit about where the strike price is. So I, I think there's a balance, you know, in a case where it is competitive, you might want to, try to make a few small adjustments where you may be pushing just a little bit, but you want to stay uh, within realistic expectations. No, I think that's, that's great. That's, that's great stuff. It's, it, it, it just illustrates the listeners out there what brokerage firms also have to go through to get great deals in this market. So, so really yeah. awesome stuff. Um, let's talk about submitting a strong offer and, and how that can give you some credibility on the buy side as well as just your credibility pitch deck because, uh, and talk a little bit about hard money and how that also may help you uh, with, with, with submitting a strong offer. So, yeah, I mean, the brokers, it's the broker's job to help guide uh, the seller and sellers are going to have, I mean, at the end of the day, they care about how much they're going to net and whether that's to return the equity to their investors um, or, or to themselves if they're just a private 
um, maybe high net worth investors. So, I mean, it, it, regardless, they care about how much am I going to net? Most sellers are going to care more about price. Like we were just in a situation with, with 810 units in Houston. We had uh, 13 offers. And it, wow. although it's our job to help guide, you know, hey, this, this offer may be the best price, uh, but the one slightly under that, you know, their, their terms are better. So when you look at terms, uh, it's, it's your uh, background and experience. You know, how many, how many deals have they closed in the past? Um, and then, you know, how much money are they, how much skin in the game are they putting up front? And that typically goes with, you know, how much hard money um, are they putting up front? And that, I mean, it really ranged. I mean, it, it depends on the investor's uh, sensitivity to risk. Um, but we see anything from, uh, I'm going to say, you know, $5,000, uh, you know, day one on, on maybe a smaller deal to, uh, $200,000 after day seven. So, <laughs> I mean, it really ranges. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an incredible range and, and, and something that maybe you can elaborate a little bit on. Is that always been the case offering hard money or is it just because we're in such a competitive market right now? Like go rewind two or three years ago. Well, it was hard money still being offered. Yeah. So again, based on my experience, um, I've only been in the brokerage business for uh, several months, but um, listening to stories from my managing director, uh, Todd Franks, he's been in the business for 20 years and, and it does, it definitely shifts. Um, you know, there's a buyer's market and a seller's market right now. We're maybe getting closer to the top of the market cycle. It's a seller's market. So yeah, there's definitely a shift there. You're absolutely right. Interesting stuff. Well, mate, look, I have really enjoyed, you know, getting you on the show today. I really want to know what does the future hold for you both personally and in your business? I think for me, it's, uh, it's kind of like the 80, 20 rule. So right now it's, uh, I really want to kind of shift it to the 90, 10 and I'm do, I'm still doing some things to, to build up my, uh, equity partner, a passive investor database, and I'm still putting out newsletters, um, and I still want to build that pot and I'm also uh, helping place uh, potential equity partners with uh, investors that I'm trying to bring value to that, are, that could be potential sellers. So I'm, I'm still doing some investing stuff, but not so much as I uh, want to put the majority of my focus here in the brokerage business to get it, get it up and running and establish uh, myself in the marketplace. Awesome stuff. Um, one final question before we dive into the lightning round is what's the biggest takeaway advice you can give to um, investors out there in today's market to, to, clo to, to land a cracking deal and to build that awesome credibility with their brokerage firm or a brokerage firm? Yeah, I think it, it goes back to kind of the theme of, uh, of this interview and it would, it would be relationships. But before you start to establish relationships, be prepared, have a pitch deck, just like, uh, you know, you teach many of your uh, listeners and students as well. So be prepared, have, have a presentation, have a couple of key equity partners lined up um, and then go out and start to build relationships. And I think uh, that'll set you apart. I love it. Love that stuff. Mate, are you ready to dive into uh, the, give us the top five investing tips? Yeah, let's do it. What is the daily habit that keeps you on track towards your goals? Sure, and I think this can be applied in, in a couple of different areas, especially for your listeners. But for me, it's, it's uh, setting aside time each day, and it's typically first thing in the morning and then uh, sometime in the afternoon, and it's locked in my schedule. No matter what, uh, nothing can touch that, that hour in my schedule, and it's prospecting. Um, so I have a goal of 30 calls per day, and that's uh, primarily – um, a mix of cold and, and warm calls. 
Um, but I want to make sure I'm have, I have 30 touches per day. Um, and, and that may, you know, I may not be connecting with investors on each call, but I try to keep track of all my metrics, how long each call is, is taking, how many, uh, successful, um, and, uh, investors am I able to connect with? How many voicemails am I leaving? And, and what are, you know, what's my return rate on voicemails as well? Interesting stuff. I think uh, having that, you know, that number of 30 calls a day, you know, you're doing 150 a week, there's bound to be some sort of success, right? Even if you use a 5% rule of success, there's, you know, that's, that's a great number of calls that you're going to get, you know, get back, you know, five to, to 10 yeah. calls back is incredible. And this can be applied for new investors as well. Take, Hey, set aside, maybe you work a, a, a full-time job. So set uh, during your lunch break, you're going to take an hour or two uh, to work on investing each day. So whether it's, you know, building your pitch deck, uh, whether it's, you know, making three calls to brokers, um, trying to set up meetings or whatever the case may be. Love it. No, that's it's really, 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 really good advice. And, and I think it's great for those people out there who are balancing that full time V, you know, trying to break into real estate investing. You've got to sort of put your priorities, set aside some time each and every day. I, I, I suggest two to three hours each and every day. And all those two or three hours, maybe call some brokers, maybe, you know, work on your pitch deck, maybe work on your newsletter, building up your database. So, so very, very good stuff. Uh, Mark, who is the most influential person in your career to date? Yeah. So I'm going to go with, with the brokerage career. Um, and, and that would be Todd Franks. Todd Franks, again, as I mentioned, my managing director here at SVN. Um, he's been with uh, boutique brokerage prior to starting up uh, a franchise here with SVN in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, but he's been doing class B, B and C value add multifamily for nearly 20 years um, and has a wealth of experience and uh, a wealth of contacts and relationships. Um, so as I get going and I'm doing these listing presentations and, uh, uh, constantly working with, you know, through cold calling, it's like I'm picking his brain every day. So, um, yeah, definitely Todd Franks. Todd Franks. All right, mate. Also, if, he's, if he's out there listening, you are Mark's most influential person in his career. So awesome stuff. Uh, who, what is the most influential tool in your real estate business? I know being on the brokerage side and being on the investor side, you'd have to have a really awesome tool that, that helps you be successful each and every day. Yeah. Yardy matrix. I have Yardy to go back matrix. to Yardy matrix, which is, <laughs> which is, uh, which is the reason I can prospect. <laughs> okay. So how much is Yardy Matrix per month if, for those listeners out there wanting to get Yardy Matrix? Yardy Matrix. So we, we were cut a special deal uh, through SVN with Yardy Matrix. Um, and I think we pay 75 grand a year for, wow. for that description. So yeah, that gives us access to, and, and that's a discounted rate. So that gives us access to uh, the entire nation. Um, so any market. So for example, if I'm selling in Colleen, Texas, which is a military market, I can call in every other military market across the nation, uh, you know, for owners and investors to, cause you know, they may be more li likely to, uh, invest in Colleen Fort Hood area. Nice stuff. No, so, that's incredible. Yardy, very, very, very powerful tool, but 75 grand a year. It doesn't come with a cheap uh, price tag either. <laughs> 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 so mate, what's been your biggest failure in your career to date? And what have you learned from that failure? Yeah, sure. I, I think it would go back to my first, uh, my first single family flip. When, uh, you know, when I bought a distressed home, renovated it and, uh, w went to sell it for a profit. And, um, it was backed up. So one, it was had to do with the, the comparable properties. And this one was backed up against a pretty busy road. Uh, whereas, uh, the properties across the street on the interior were selling for about a hundred K more, 
a hundred thousand dollars more than this, wow. this property backed up on the road. So, um, I think there's a couple of things that I missed on due diligence and I didn't have much due diligence time cause I was actually buying from a wholesaler. Uh, but it can be applied in anything in real estate, due diligence. There's a good book out there. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's all about real estate due diligence. And uh, I, I think that's it, it's very important to, especially in multifamily, go through each and every unit. Um, there are third-party companies out there that uh, are due diligence companies that'll, that'll work, you know, look through all the financials, go through every unit, full-on inspection. So I think uh, that's, that's key for uh, real estate investing. So did you end up not getting any profit from that, that deal or was it just because you'd over assumed the exit price and that exit price meant that you didn't make as, uh, as much profit or you might've been even in the hole? Yeah, I made just over $600 <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> hey, for, for the price point. I hear yeah, for the price point, it wasn't much. I, I, uh, and probably the amount of work you put into it, right? Your, your time. I did a, I did a flip in Philadelphia I lost 40k, uh, but you know I got out of the oh, deal wow. and I, I I got it sold at the end of the day and I, I paid my investors back. So, you know I did what I I said I was going to do and um, I took the hit. Right, that's part and parcel of being a, a syndicator. So whether it be on single families or multifamilies, it's uh, yeah. But you know lessons learned from from flipping houses. Don't flip houses. Invest in yeah. invest invest in cash flow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I overinflated the the uh, in sales price, the ARV, and yep. then I uh, missed the. The, uh, expenses so because right. um, uh, you know I had to redo the plumbing and stuff like that that's another mm -hmm. story all all those unforeseen conditions in existing houses as soon as you touch the walls you rip them open you're like oh wait I got to replace all these cast iron pipes or uh, the HVAC's you know screwed and you couldn't see that in, in your due diligence uh, or when you, if you had to make a, a quick due diligence uh, you didn't have the time to go through it thoroughly but uh, but very interesting stuff and something that we can talk to you again on another podcast when I get you back uh, but where can people reach you to continue the conversation uh, sure, you can reach me uh, via my website, which is uh, investmentscom uh, or feel free to drop me a note, mark, M-A-R-K dot Allen uh, at svn.com. And that stands for Sperry Van Ness for those uh, that aren't uh, familiar with SVN. Very, very nice. Okay, we'll have all that up on my website. Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for dropping by today, having a chat with us and providing some cracking information just to recap. And I think you did a really awesome recap before is this, you know, the three major points that is relationships, building, being prepared and having your equity partners lined up to, you know, be making that credibility connection with those brokers out, inviting them out to lunch, but also having that, those, those documentations prepared, getting out on the street and getting to networking events and rubbing shoulders with brokerage uh, brokers uh, is a great way of, uh, of, of making that credibility and getting those pocket listings. Uh, did I leave anything out? No, that was it. Reed, thanks for having me. And I hope uh, there were some, some good key takeaways here for your listeners. Yeah, mate. Well, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Well, there you have it. Another great cr cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible investing advice and actionable steps. Uh, you know, some great takeaway pieces of advice. If you do want to reach out to Mark, please hit him up on his website. Uh, make sure you check out all the show notes up on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge as that's what we're all about here on this show. Continue to grow your financial IQ. We we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, have the investing.